Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles and Jeff Essery. Welcome back to Cover 2 Broncos. I'm Jeff Essery. And I am Joe Rowles. So welcome to draft day. Ah! It's finally here. It's finally happening. I feel like when you lose your quarterback in week two, you've been waiting for draft day for (laughs) a year. Years, uh, maybe? It feels like it. But honestly, like, Drew Locke went down against Pittsburgh. I remember writing a post that if Drew Locke isn't going to come back this year, they need to try and tank for Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Ever since then, I've kind of had like one eye on the draft. I know that just on that note, I know there's a particular member of the staff, and I won't out him here, but there's a particular member of the staff who I think it was after that Pittsburgh game literally started doing mock drafts and was just like, okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go focus on on yep. quarterbacks and mock drafts. And, and and I'm not I'm not going to name him either because I, because I, you know, I don't want to be that guy, but I will say it was not you and it was not me. Like you and I endured the entirety of the 2020 season. Like we suffered through it. Um, and I don't blame him one bit for the, for the record. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, cause it's, it's understandable when, um, when you kind of see what was going to happen at quarterback and it's like, okay, we're going to have another season like this. You start to look towards the draft. And so I think, I mean, George Payton, I like what he's done, not to jump – I think we should just dive right into it maybe. But, like, I like what he's done with the team. But I think that's where, like, 
that's the biggest question mark that has everybody kind of, I think, on edge leading up to this draft and like awaiting to see what he'll do at the quarterback position because, um, you know, it has been five years of non-solutions and patchwork and bridge quarterbacks. And, and speaking of bridge quarterbacks, great bridge for the news that just dropped today. So we're recording this on Wednesday. So we literally just got the news a couple, couple hours ago. Yeah. And so kind of as an aside is like, you know, those of you listening, I was in the middle of like a thing with like my day job during the Bridgewater trade. I looked down at my phone. I had gotten like 12 notifications. I was like, Oh, sh-, like, Oh snap. I have to look at this. I like quick snuck a peek and I saw it and I'm like still processing it. So like, it's the perfect opportunity for us to talk about it because like, again, like I'm coming to grips with like what this means. Um, again, I don't think either of us were really surprised. Like back when Sam Darnold was traded to Carolina, both you and I have talked about the fact that Bridgewater looks like, looked like a really obvious trade candidate for the Broncos because George Payton is already like, he's familiar with him. Uh, and, and, and I think you and I have talked about this before. I think Bridgewater is the perfect like backup slash competition just because he has been a starter. He's been a backup. When he was hurt, he was basically out of the picture altogether, but still in the locker room. So, like, like in terms of, like, a locker room dynamic, I think he's perfect. On the field, I I have to watch more tape of him. But what I've watched, I, I think his competition. I think if Drew Locke doesn't improve on what we saw last year, I think Bridgewater will beat him. That said, I do th- I expect Drew Locke to improve some. Um, and that will make it interesting. And I think it would be an interesting competition. Uh, I think Bridgewater's style of play fits really well with the strengths of the Broncos roster outside of the receiving core, just because he doesn't throw, he doesn't throw a lot of turn. Like he doesn't give the ball away. And so if you're, if you're trying to win with defense and a supporting cast and the quarterback stays out of the way, I think Bridgewater makes sense. Um, I don't think he's exciting. I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to push for MVP. I don't think anyone's going to confuse him for a pro bowl level quarterback. But I think after the last five years we've had at quarterback, I think he he could look pretty good, especially with the supporting cast he's going to have. Yeah, and I think it's a from an offensive fit, it fits well with Pat Shermer's offense. Um, you know, clearly he's a smart guy; he knows what to do. He's um, I don't think he'll have any problem you know, with the offense or coming in because he's been around the league. He's enough of a veteran guy at this point. Um, I do think it's interesting that, and again, to your point, like it it wasn't, it wasn't super surprising to see it. Um, And some of the, the reports coming out is that it doesn't really necessarily take Denver out of the equation for a quarterback at number nine or in the draft at all. Like they could still trade up. Um, I mean, we've talked about this on the show a lot. You, you know my feelings on bridge quarterbacks. Like I'm not a big fan of the idea of bringing in a guy that you know is not going to be the guy, and um, one utilizing resources on him, but then just giving him time and reps in camp, and for for him to potentially be unseated midway through the season, or he's not a solidified starter. You know he's probably not going to be the guy, um, and so I mean I think that's why. I, you know, I was glad Denver moved on from Case Keenum when they did, because you could argue that Case Keenum was better than what Denver has had at quarterback for the last two years. But 
the goal isn't just to get to a particular level of quarterback play. The goal is to find a long-term solution at quarterback. And I don't think anybody is under the impression that Teddy Bridgewater is that long-term solution. So from that perspective, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag for me in terms of my feelings on the, the move. He is a massive upgrade over Jeff Driscoll and the cost is amazing. And so like, there's literally no downside for Denver to pick him up. So from that respect, I think it was a good move by George Payton but I think it's a good move with a caveat of let's see what they do in the draft and see where they end up deciding to go with the quarterback position. If their plan is just Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke battling it out and we'll see what happens this year with those two, you know, to me, that's a, that's a tough, um, to me, it, it colors the move a little bit. If the Broncos are left in a situation where it's Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater, I don't think Teddy Bridgewater really lifts the ceiling on this offense a whole lot. From I, I think, it, again, he serves as a parachute. So if Drew Locke does not improve enough off of what we saw last year, Teddy Bridgewater will end up winning the job and will give the Broncos a quarterback who's not going to lose them games. He's a guy you can win games with. He's not a, game, he's not a guy you're going to win games because of. Uh, you don't want him to be like, you don't want the, the ball in his hands at the end of the game. And he has to win the game for you. You want your defense and your running game and the receivers to put you in a position where you can, you can run out the clock with him keeping you out of trouble. And, and again, I think for that, he's fine. He's a, he, like for Fangio. I think he's a dream come true because I'm sure Fangio watching Drew Locke throw the ball into harm's way time and time again, last year was infuriating because he was doing everything he could to win the game outside of that. Uh, and I'm not trying to bash Drew Locke. I just think that was the reality of what happened in a couple different games last year. And I think Bridgewater gives you that. And I think in that way, the move makes a lot of sense because you look at what George Payton has done at cornerback and you look at what he's done in some of the other positions. He's tried to try to create a situation where the Broncos don't have to go get anybody. They yeah. kind of let the, let the board fall how it goes. If an opportunity presents itself that they want to go pursue, they will. But they don't have to. And I think that's what Bridgewater gives you. And that's why I think they did it right before the draft. Because the price came down. I think I think at some point Carolina came to the conclusion, like, we know we're not going to get a better offer to, for Teddy Bridgewater than this. We don't really want him on our roster after the draft. So we're going to deal him. And at that point, Peyton said, yeah, like, I'm all on. Like, let's do it. Uh, in, the, in the terms of the deal, so just for those who haven't seen it, because it is fairly new, um, sixth round pick, right? And he has a $10 million salary, but the way the negotiations work on the trade is Denver only ends up picking up 3 million of that cap hit. Yep. And so from that perspective, I mean, they paid Drew, they paid Jeff Driscoll at least $2 million last year. Um, I don't have the exact cap number in front of me, but it was at least $2 million. And so even from a backup standpoint, I mean, I think it's a great deal. And Teddy Bridgewater is probably one of the better backups. If you, you know, if you consider him a backup, He's probably the, one of the best backups in the league. Yeah. Um, so from that regard, I think it, it does help Denver where they're not going to end up in a spot where they're playing Brett Rippon or they're playing Jeff Driscoll if Drew Locke gets hurt or if he – I think to your point, he provides a parachute for them if Drew Locke is the plan. And so like from that regard, it, it makes sense. I, I just keep coming back to – and I agree that I think George Payton has – given himself flexibility. And I like that. Like you don't ever want to be really pigeonholed in, particularly where you have to give up a lot of 
resources or something like that. Kind of like how Denver was when Brock Osweiler left and they were forced to, you know, their hand was kind of forced a little bit to go up and get Paxton Lynch. And, you know, there was, there was a lot of other issues with that too, but whenever you're forced to take a guy, um, I don't think it ever pans out really well. So I like that. I like it from that regard. But what I will say is it's kind of a double-edged sword because the flexibility that George Payton has given, like all the moves they've made this offseason, has really solidified the roster where they don't have any really large holes except quarterback. And so it's just tough to see as a fan, you know, like from an analysis standpoint, I get it. From a fan perspective, it, it's kind of tough to think about another year going by without – that hole being filled when the roster really looks primed. Like I know we say this every year, right? Like we were, we were optimistic well, last year, but, but every, like this year, it really, the roster really looks good. And Denver looks primed to be a really good team if they had a good quarterback. But to be fair, it's not just us. Like, and again, I, I don't want to, you know, make this whole laundry list, but like PFF and they, they're not Bronco fans, but they think the Broncos have the one of the, one of the 10 best rosters in football. And in the to your point, one of the other things that as a fan makes this move kind of not scary, but kind of it's it's not necessarily really inspiring, just because Bridgewater restructured his deal. It's a one year contract now. First of all, for those of you listening, if you don't already know this, that means the Broncos will not get a compensatory pick for him if he leaves next year. So that it is what it is, but like it's a one year deal, good terms. It's essentially a Case Keenum type deal where the Broncos paid money to give him away to Washington. That's what Carolina did. Um, it saves them face a little bit. They don't have to cut him after signing him to a $60 million contract. Um, so, and it saves them some money. So like, I get, I get why they did it. The terms for the Broncos are great. It's cheap. And they only had to give up a six round pick. Like that's, that's nothing. Um, but he's a one year deal and half the Broncos roster, maybe not half, but a big chunk of the Broncos roster is on one year contracts. So even though the Broncos roster looks really pretty good right now, next year we're back to the situation where all of a sudden there's holes across the roster. Like the cornerback depth chart next year looks very scary. Um, unless Michael Ojemudia comes through and Essing Bassey comes through. Um, quarterback next year looks pretty scary. It's Drew Locke on the last year of his rookie contract and Brett Rippon on the last, I think the last year of his rookie contract or an ERFA contract. Um, running back, there's not a running back unless you believe Mike Boone's going to be the guy. Um, so again, and I'm not trying to be a downer. It's just the reality is outside of Justin Simmons, you've got Kareem Jackson on his one year deal and linebackers. Yeah. So, and again, and I'm, I'm not trying to be an alarmist. It's just the reality of it. Like George Payton basically gave Vic Fangio one year, brought all the band back together, tried to patch as many holes as he could. And now Fangio has a chance to see if he gets to survive the year. That's what it looks like to me. Um, and granted, like, as a new GM with your inheriting a coach, I get why he would do that. I'm not, I'm not rooting for or against that. I'm just saying that that's what it looks like he's done. So on the plus side of it, they can approach the draft and, and kind of see how it falls and take a chance if they see a guy worth going to get, but they don't have to. And there's a very good chance. And we've heard this, you know, all off season, there's a pretty good chance. The Broncos trade down from nine, collect a bunch of picks and, just take players, take shots, uh, which kind of moves us to, I think, moves us to where we're heading because obviously it's draft day. I think, I don't know if you saw this. I tweeted this, yes, yes, well, two days ago when you guys were listening to this, sorry. So I tweeted this the other day. 
uh, a buddy of mine, and I and I obviously like I'm not an insider. I don't pretend to be an insider. I'm not trying to be an insider here. I'm just telling you something I've heard that I trust because the person who told it to me is somebody I trust. I have heard that the Broncos are not interested in Justin Fields. Um, I have heard that the Broncos clearly prefer Trey Lance to Justin Fields. Uh, I have heard essentially that even if Justin Fields falls in their lap, they're not going to get him. I hope that's not true. I hope the information that my buddy gave me is wrong. Um, I don't think he lied to me, but I'm hoping that he heard something wrong. Again, we're in the middle of conflicting reports and it's happened since January. So like it very well could be wrong, but there is a decent chance that a quarterback falls in the Broncos lap and they use it as trade bait or they don't even take him. They just take a guy. Um, I know that I would be disappointed. Uh, I know that's no surprise to anyone who's listened to us for any length of time. Uh, but I really like four of the quarterbacks in this class more than Drew Locke. Um, I, I actually had Teddy Bridgewater ranked as my eighth best option below Drew Locke when I wrote a 10 option for quarterback. So I, I, I prefer Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, and Trevor Lawrence to Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. I would rather go with those two than Mac Jones if that's the, the option, but I, that's where I'm at. Yeah, and I think it to me it's more about the cost as well. So I think when you add a trade up in there, it, it obviously colors some of those picks as well for me at least. Of like, how much would you actually pay for one of those guys, particularly a guy like Trey Lance, where it's at least in my estimation from what I've seen from him, like it's all potential that you're betting on, right? Like he's not even 21 yet. Um, he didn't play in 2020, if I'm not mistaken. And, yeah. And so, you know, you're, you're, it's a big, it's a lot of projection that mm-hmm. you're doing for a guy like Trey Lance. And um, you're probably also wanting him to sit for a while and really learn. And so it's just like, it's kind of a catch 22. It's interesting because like, if you're going for a rookie quarterback, a guy like Lance, you probably are going to want to let them sit and learn. But the roster for this year is kind of primed to try to make a bit of a run this year. And then, like you said, you're almost kind of starting from scratch, not starting from scratch, but you're, you've got a lot of stuff coming up after this year from a contract standpoint. And, you know, who knows what happens with Vaughn Miller and his contract, given his health and his age. And so, there are a lot of question marks. Juwan James moves on at that point. So now you've got to find an offensive tackle. So you can go down the list and the Denver's roster is going to look extremely different next year. Is it really like, is this year worth, do you just want to try to cobble together nine to 10 wins to call it a success and keep fans happy and keep your job as a head coach or you know, like to me, I'm not satisfied with that type of season, even after all the losing that we've seen recently. Like, I don't think like to me, a nine to seven season doesn't do it. And you, you maybe you barely miss the playoffs or something like to me, this roster is in a spot where they could potentially make the playoffs with a quarterback. And so it's just, I mean, there's not, there's not a good solution. We've talked about it all off season. There's not a good solution at the quarterback position, but it's kind of tough to, to see the way the cards are falling currently is that, you know, Denver's options right now is either take a young guy that you're, you know, further gambling on and projecting and probably is going to need to sit. And so there just, there isn't a lot of good plug and play options 
if Lance is the guy that they're looking at. To me, Fields is more of the plug-and-play option, and even he would take some time to ramp up. But he would be the more, to me, he's the more, like, plug in and get some, you know, light some fire in the offense this season as opposed to a guy like Lance. Well, and that's one of the reasons why I actually really like the Teddy Bridgewater trade, too, because if you are going to go after a rookie quarterback or if you are going to draft one when they become available, Teddy Bridgewater means you don't have to rush him into playing before he's ready. Even if you, even if Drew Locke wins the starting job, Drew Locke has been hurt enough that there was a good chance that let's say it was Drew Locke and a rookie. Drew Locke plays, gets hurt in three, game, three games in, and all of a sudden your rookie has to play. Or Brett Rippon. Now you have Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke and then a rookie or even – Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke, Brett Rippon, that a rookie. Uh, that said, it also leaves open the possibility that if the Broncos see a quarterback they like, they take one, they could turn around and trade Drew Locke. Uh, and again, I'm not calling for that. I'm not saying I want that to happen. I'm just saying it is a possibility because they now have a veteran on the roster. Uh, so again, I, I, I do like what they did with Bridgewater in terms of like the options it's opened up. I also think at nine, the idea that you don't have to be desperate if the if the Patriots are willing to offer three drafts to go up and get to four. I don't think Peyton's going to do that. I like I don't think he's willing to trade that much for somebody unproven. And I don't think there's a guy, at least in my estimation, that you would do that for after the the top three that have gone. Like it was questionable enough to me that the 49ers did that to get the third best quarterback. You know, now you're talking about doing it for one of the two guys of Fields and Lance. I think it depends on your your opinion of, of those two guys, right? But um, I think to me, the, the the options for Denver is to sit at nine. Like that's that's where I would be happy with them doing is sitting at nine. You see what it, see what comes to you, um, and then you know the trade back. I, I like the idea of of picking up additional capital, and if the price is right, you can still get an impact player and pick up some additional draft picks. It's just now you're rolling with a Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater combo, um, which, you know, there's no guarantee that those either of the two rookie quarterbacks is going to be any better than that this year. But it is a little bit there. I guess it depends on the organ and how the organization feels about Drew Locke. And I think that's where, that's where my opinion has begun to shift this off season, like not much has changed for me this off season based on all the conversations we've had, right? Like we've all kind of been talking about the same stuff, except, and I'd love your thoughts on this, particularly based on Peyton's recent presser. It feels like the organization is kind of going cold on lock a little bit. Um, the, the sense that I get from George Peyton, particularly some of the answers that he gave at his press conference and the moves that they've, made obviously they're bringing in teddy bridgewater and the you know there's enough smoke about them potentially being interested in quarterbacks in this draft and they've gone to all the pro days and all of that is that you know they're obviously not sold on drew Locke, and so if they end up rolling with Locke and bridgewater in a competition like it doesn't feel like that's plan a <laughs> for george payton and the broncos and so i think that's the one thing that's maybe changed my opinion a little bit of like if if the organization if Peyton came in scouted it looked at it said look you know based on the contracts based on where we're at as a roster I've watched enough tape on lock you know I think he can get there uh, let's bring a veteran guy in to help him maybe but then you know he like we we really want to try to build around him and continue to see if he can make that leap like that's a 
that's a feasible thing that could have happened this year with George Payton. And we didn't see that. Like there's not, he does not have the organization's vote of confidence right now. Drew Locke does not. And so to me, that's, that's the one thing that's changed this off season, even more so than where we were at at the end of the season. Right. Cause it felt like the end of the season, the energy was starting to push towards, well, Locke just still needs some more time. He'll get it together. We, you know, we need a full off season. There was all of that. And that's almost gone away. And moving in a different direction. Well, and I think that's the difference between John Elway and George Payton is John, John Elway loves Drew Locke more than anybody like John. I think John, and again, I, and this is just my interpretation based on the things we've heard John Elway say about Drew Locke over the, like since he's had him, I feel like John Elway sees himself in Drew Locke. And I think that that's one of the, like the main issues John Elway's had with drafting quarterbacks throughout his entire time as a general manager is he's always tried to draft himself. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. And and I get I, I guess I get it, but George Payne he comes into it with fresh eyes. He evaluated Drew Locke when he was with the Vikings. Like they clearly did, they passed on Drew Locke. Like they had an opportunity to take him. Uh, so again, I think he comes into it knowing that Drew Locke is probably a guy. I don't think I don't think George Payton came into the situation thinking that we we believe in Drew Locke so much. I'm going to stake my reputation, my one chance of being general manager on it. And and I think that's where he's at is the I and again I've gone over the things he said at press conferences I, I want to say six or seven times now just because like people ask me about something I go back and look at it and the thing is he he keeps saying that we're going to keep looking so and that gives me hope that even if the Broncos don't take a quarterback today it's not it's not like they're just going to roll out Teddy Bridgewater for a year and then just say we're good because like. Teddy Bridgewater, if, if Teddy Bridgewater is your starting quarterback next year, you're kind of stuck in QB purgatory. And that's just the reality of it is the Broncos are going to probably be too good to be in the top 10 again. And it's really hard to get a good quarterback if you're not in the top 10 unless you get lucky. Well, um, if your options are Locke and, and Bridgewater, your hope as the, you know, I mean, I think fans, like your hope should be that Drew Locke, Locke puts it together. Because that means he won the competition. If Teddy yeah. Bridgewater is your starter all season, that means he beat out Drew Locke. And, you know, you're starting from square one, literally, because contract is up on Teddy Bridgewater. You've given Locke two off seasons now. He didn't do it. So, I mean, it is not – the scenario where Teddy Bridgewater starts the entire season for the Broncos is, like, worst-case scenario. And that's nothing on Teddy Bridgewater. It's just about where you're at as a quarterback – like, with the quarterback situation. It's Unless, a- like, 
I guess the one caveat would be unless you had a rookie waiting in the wings and you intentionally started Bridgewater. Yeah. I have a caveat with that. But if it's if it's Locke and Bridgewater on the roster, you want Locke starting if you're a Bronco fan. You want you want Locke to earn it, is what is how I would say it. Because yeah. Drew yeah, Locke at least has the hope that he has the tools that maybe he can put it together. Whereas Bridgewater, and again, I like Bridgewater. I've wanted the Broncos to to sign Bridgewater multiple times since like since he entered the league. Uh, but that said, like at this point, we kind of know what he is. He's a low floor or a low ceiling, high floor guy. Like he's going to stay out of your way. He's going to connect the ball. Like he's going to play the short and mid game. He's, he's essentially like old Drew Brees before Brees's arm fell off. Like he's not going to really open up the deep game much. So like Cortland Sutton's yard per catch is going to go down quite a bit. I feel like Jerry Judy would love Teddy Bridgewater because the ball is going to get placed on him accurately and give him room to work. But that said, yeah, I don't, I don't think he necessarily turns this offense into a top ten offense. He had Joe Brady last year, and he was still okay. Uh, but that said, like, there, there's other things to this. And again, like on draft day, I don't want to beat a dead horse with this too much. Like, we'll have plenty of offseason talk Bridgewater if that's what it ends up being. What do you hope the Broncos do in the draft today? This is the day of hope. Like, I think everybody knows this at this point. Like, I hope Justin Fields falls right to nine. I hope all the smoke that people are going to trade up for him is. BS. And I hope somebody overthinks him. I think he falls to nine and then the Broncos are like, Hey, Oh, and they take him and we have a quarterback. Cause I do. I ardently believe that if Justin Fields is on the Broncos roster next year, they're a Super Bowl contender because I think you have a rookie contract. I think in, in a year's time, he'll put it together enough and you build the pieces around him to make the most of it. You have a defense, keep your offense together. Keep you solve right tackle. Cause I think right tackle is the other big, big need on the Broncos. And I think you're set. I think you're you're going to be competing. Yeah, and, and I don't know. Like, I like Fields, but I I don't know that I would be as bullish on Fields as you are. Um, but I do think that that's probably to me, if Denver goes that route, is the best case scenario. And I think that's what's so interesting about this year in the draft is there's not really like there's not a clear direction because they could go in so many different, you know ways and there's so many unknowns now you add bridgewater into the mix you add drew lock will he develop and all of that into the mix like to me quarterback is is your number one hole on the roster until it's not right until you till you find that guy you should always be looking for them and if you're within striking distance of a quarterback i mean we saw what that denver passed on that in 2018 and they've continued to kick the can down the road and i love bradley chubb and i i advocated for it at the time because I wasn't a big Josh Allen fan um, that they shouldn't draft Josh Allen back then. But I did say, um, I remember tweeting this out and I think I had it pinned for a while, but you know, if Denver passes on a quarterback in 2018, when they were within that, you know, that much of striking distance, they were at number five in the draft and they passed on a quarterback. I said, they're going to regret it. And it would be, you know, one of the most resounding kind of mistakes from that John Elway would make in his career. And that's, to me, one of the biggest mistakes they did make was passing on a quarterback. And I was talking about it in respects of I wanted them to go get Baker Mayfield, but he ended up going number one overall and, you know, all of that. But I don't know that it's that dissimilar this year, given where we think Denver could land in regards to the quarterback position. And so as much as I like some of the other guys in the draft, and I, I want to, you know, 
in a normal draft, I wouldn't mind if they got a guy like Rashawn Slater or, I mean, Vinicius, I don't think will be there. Um, Let's talk about that. Yeah, well, if they got a tackle, to me, tackle's the next big question mark. But just to finish that thought is I think every other position, if they took another position, is colored by the fact that Denver doesn't have a clear answer at quarterback. And if they chose to, like, turn away from trying to get a quarterback and decided to just, you know, trade back or take someone else when they had an option or they within striking distance of it, I think think you're going to regret it because, to your point, what if you start Teddy Bridgewater, you go nine and seven, you have a really good defense. Like Denver should be decent this year, even with league average quarterback play or, you know, a, a guy like Bridgewater playing. Yeah. Or you're, you know, you're in the top 10. They're in the top 10 of this draft in a draft that has five quarterbacks that are potentially legitimate starters. Well, and the other thing is, and I, and I know that like, it's a year away and we're going to talk ourselves into the guys next year and somebody will emerge I don't think next year's quarterback class is going to be as good as this one. I do think that there's probably going to be talented prospects, but the thing is, and and, and this is, I think this is where this confusion happens. Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are better than quarterback prospects. You normally get both of them would be number one overall prospects in, in most drafts. If they weren't together, Zach Wilson off the year he had would probably be a number one overall pick most years. And I honestly am not as high on Zach Wilson as like a lot of people at this point. Like I'm quite, quite scared of the shoulder. I think he's going to probably turn the ball over a bit early. I think pressure is going to impact him. That said, I still think he's a very good prospect. I think Trey Lance, we're, we're gambling on upside. And honestly, I love Trey Lance. Like I think he could be very good, but I think he, we're gambling on upside and we're, we're kind of convinced that because Josh Allen was what he was, Trey Lance can put it together. That said, I'm willing to make that bet because this is your chance to get that guy. Most drafts, that guy's going in the top five. Like, there's no doubt. Because that's the tools. Like, that's how good his tools are. And that's how good his intangibles are based on everything we've heard. So, this isn't to say that there aren't going to be good quarterback prospects next year, but you don't normally have two what look like pretty close to about as safe a bet as you could have. And Trevor Lawrence is about as safe a bet as you can have in any draft class. Not to say he can't bust, but in terms of on paper as a prospect, you turn on the tape and watch what he does. He's about as close to a sure thing as you're going to get at quarterback. And then Justin Fields has been neck and neck with him for their careers as like 1A, 1B. So the fact that we're overthinking him to me is just that's what it is. Like we're overthinking it. Unless there's some sort of red flag that we don't have access to on the outside. And granted, there might be, but... I would think at this point, with the way we've heard about everything else with him, we would have heard about it. Um, like, for example, we know Zach Wilson takes ADHD medicine. Like, and I'm not saying that like that's a huge deal, but like that's where draft information's at at this point. Like, I know what these guys like. I know they're there's you know everything about them, yeah. Except for something that just like no one wants to say. But, but so it's like that. So next year's class, it's a lot of unknown, and maybe guys will emerge. But if you're outside the top 10 and the class is a lot more questionable, do you even want to go cry and get the guy then? And that's the question. Well, in Denver, the way that they've played it, and again, it's George Payton, and so it's different than John Elway, but they like George Payton doesn't seem to me like the guy that is going to make a big blockbuster move from like to go get a quarterback. And so, you know, I guess you could always throw out, well, you can always trade up for a guy, but I just don't see that in 
in Denver's near-term future, if they're at like 15 or if they are at 16, like the amount of capital that it would take to go up and get a guy, like if you're scared of the unknowns and moving up one slot or something when you're at nine or even taking a guy. Why would you trade nine, up from 15? Why would you trade? Yeah. Why, unless, unless you just happen to maybe just fall in love with this guy. And so I think to me that it just, it, it casts a shadow over this entire draft process, the quarterback question. And I don't want it to be so because there's t- tons of other great players. There's great talent. There's JOK from Notre Dame that I want to talk about. There's Michael yeah. Parsons that from a on the field prospect is a great fit, I think, in Denver's defense. I love Patrick Sertan. I don't want Denver to take any of those guys if they're – neglecting the quarterback position in, you know, in service of taking those guys. And so I think that's just what, what I'm struggling with as a, from a decision-making prospect is you're sitting at number nine and maybe you're within striking distance. You know, there's a, there's a good, you know, you cannot, you always have to take the mock drafts with a grain of salt, but the majority of the league thinks Denver could go quarterback here. And, and so it means the way that they're modeling it and then it's falling out that there's probably a quarterback position. You know, there's probably a quarterback that'll be available when Denver comes. And so well, it's, it's hard to me if you're a, if you're the Broncos and you've been on the QB carousel for as long as you have to pass on the QB position when it's as storied as it has been over the last five years of how rough that position has been. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with you. I I've been, you know, I've been saying, well, and that's, and that's, well, and that's the thing, like since the Broncos acquired Teddy Bridgewater, Vegas odds seem to be pointing to the Broncos acquiring Rashawn Slater. I will be disappointed if the Broncos pass on a chance to get a quarterback to take Rashawn Slater. Not because I dislike Rashawn Slater. I think he's fine. He's the number two tackle on my board. I think he could be a really good right tackle for the Broncos. But here are the here are the two big questions I have. Well, there's three of them. Three big questions I have for Rashawn Slater. First of all, and this is the same thing with Sewell. They're both shorter. And again, I don't think that's the end of the world. Um, I respect the hell out of Brandon Thorne. Brandon Thorne has basically said like 33 inch arms is not the end of the world. 32 is starting to be pretty bad. Like that's, it starts to actually make a huge difference. Rashawn Slater is so athletic. He'll probably be able to get around that to some extent. I do think that longer arm rushers who have power are going to give him trouble. AJ Epinesa, who is not a world beater. He's good, but he's not a world beater. Gave him trouble. And, and people, and, and again, if the Broncos take Rashawn Slater, you're going to hear a lot about the fact that Slater had a really great matchup against Chase Young. Here's the thing. He played about 20 snaps against Chase Young, and he had tight end help. So it's not, it's a narrative that has really got a lot of legs based on like six highlights. And it's over, it's not, it's not everything it's made out to be. That's, and I'm not trying to hate him. I'm just, that's the facts. And the third part about it is Rashawn Slater is, is touted as safe. And I think he's safe too because Rashawn Slater is so athletic and so savvy that he's going to probably, if he fails a tackle, he'll probably be okay at guard or center. But here's the thing. Do you want to take a center at nine? No. Yeah. You do not want to take a guy who might end up being a center at ninth overall in a, in a class that could have a quarterback there. Like that just makes no sense to me. Yeah, I mean, and I kind of—that's kind of where I'm at with the 
the linebacker position too. And, and I think Micah Parsons is a great prospect, like I said, from an on-the-field perspective. And I still like I, I don't disagree with what the Bears did when they took Roquan Smith at six. Five or six. I always I always get that mixed up. I think it was six. Um yeah, it was six because it was right after Denver. Um but that's the, you know, that's probably the one exception of where I would take a, a linebacker that high in the draft is how the Bears did with Roquan Smith. But it's a similar conversation in terms of value that you're getting at number nine and you're going linebacker. And so I know a lot of the scenarios potentially have Denver trading back and grabbing a linebacker. And to me, that's where I'd be more comfortable. But I've seen a lot of mocks that have Micah Parsons going to Denver at nine. I hate and it. it's a top, you know, you're using a top 10 pick on a linebacker. And so it's just, now I know, you know, Vic Fangio, the way that he plays his linebackers, I mean, Josie Jewell and Alexander Johnson got nearly 100% of the snaps last year, right? Because Denver's in nickel a lot of the time. And so those guys are just on the field. They're in yeah. your base package, they're in your nickel. So then you're going to get snaps out of them. But are they as big of an impact player on your defense to warrant that type of pick over the other options well, that you could have? And I think that's where kind of the that's where it falls for me. Well, and here's there, there's a there's a litany of issues I have with Micah Parsons at nine. And the first one, everyone at this point, it's a dead horse. Like the character and the off field stuff is a thing. I, if the Broncos take him at all, they feel comfortable with that stuff. So like that's not going to be a reason I hate the pick. I am concerned enough that if I was the GM and I did not have enough information to feel comfortable with that, I would not take him. Like, he would be off my board altogether. That said, I assume that NFL teams are going to be able to vet that enough that they will feel good or bad about it. So, like, that's outside of this discussion for me. The the issues I have with Micah Parsons, especially at nine, as you said, he's a linebacker. So taking a linebacker at nine means that you're – you're dedicating a fifth year option to a guy who plays a position that is pretty easy to fill like comparatively. What that means is that guy has to be a very, very good slash borderline elite talent to justify it. And Micah Parsons could be, but Micah Parsons, what makes him special is the fact he's very freaky athletic and he's very physical and he's an edge rusher. Like he's, that's what he can do on third downs. Like that's what he brings value as. As a, as a pass rusher. But here's the thing as a linebacker. If you're rushing that guy on third downs, and again, like that's great. Like He might be able to help you there a lot. You still have to have somebody cover the space he's vacating. And by doing so, you're taking him out. If, he, if it's that predictable that that's what he's going to be doing, it's easier to, to guess what he's going to be doing. So he has to be very, very good at it. And it's just... You're, 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 you're pigeonholing yourself into a situation where you're taking a less valuable position and hedging on him becoming a Hall of Fame type of plan, player. And I don't think that that's a smart bet. And I also think that there's enough linebackers in this class. Like, I think there's 13 linebackers in this class that could feasibly beat out Josie Jewell for a starting job. I'm not saying all of them will, but I'm saying there's probably 13 prospects I feel good about in a competition with Josie Jewell, either this year or immediately or very early in their careers. And if that's the case, why would you take one at nine when you can take a right tackle and then take a, a linebacker later? Like if the Broncos aren't going quarterback, the positions that make the most sense to me, cornerback, Patrick Sertan is very good. He's going to be very good very early. Or you take Penny Sewell, God help me if he's there, 
Rashawn Slater, and again, I just talked about him, or either Darisaw or Tevin Jenkins. And I think, and again, I know that that's high for both of those players, but if you're stuck at nine, those two players make more sense to me because of the positions they play than a linebacker that you can easily, like linebacker, like you can find linebackers, and this happens every year. People find linebackers on day three of the draft that make impacts every year. There's also been enough data to suggest that the way the NFL is moving with RPOs, easy, quick passes over the middle, basically no linebackers make enough of a difference in coverage to matter. Like in terms of that, like you're at, like you're just as good putting a safety there as you are most linebackers because most linebackers just can't cover that space well enough to make a difference. So why take a guy whose strengths are rushing the passer unless he's going to be an edge? And you're not going to make Michael Parsons a true edge. He's going to be a guy who plays on stunts. And then he's a run stopper and run stopping is cheap. You can find that in free agency every year for about $4 million. Yeah. Well, to me, Micah Parsons in not saying that he is comparable to um, Alexander Johnson, but from a skill set perspective, what they're doing with Alexander Johnson on third downs and mixing him in on the blitz looks and stuff like that is the kind of stuff you would do with Micah Parsons. And so yeah. You you already kind of have that in Alexander Johnson, and you know who knows what happens with him with his, when his contract goes up. But I mean, I would like for Denver to look at you know keeping him around, given the way that he's fit into the defense. And so you're kind of duplicating roles a little bit if you're if you're getting a guy like him. Um, but to your point too, I think on the tackle conversation, I would say that's probably not only just from a value and a need standpoint for Denver. But it's really the perfect time to take a tackle. And so if, you know, if they're not taking quarterback, I agree with you that tackle would be the next place that I would look, given the fact that tackle takes a little bit of time. You want them to be able to develop. You want to get them into Mike Munchak's room and get them working. And you don't have to have him start right away. And so you can ease him along and develop him for an entire year while Juwan James plays. And you also have a hedge against Juwan James who has struggled with health and may not make it through a full season. And so like Denver really doesn't have a, a much um, from a right tackle standpoint behind Juwan James or, you know, one that I would feel comfortable with if they really wanted to win games. And so it makes a lot of sense on a lot of different fronts that this is the year to pick a tackle. Otherwise you're looking at the draft next year and Juwan James has already left. You have a massive hole at right tackle and then you have to fill it or you're looking at free agency. You have to fill it. Right. And so this to me is the year to take a tackle and they could still do that at number two. I think there could still be some guys, sorry, not in the second round. I think there could still be some guys in the second round that they could take, but I think this year, if there was one to take a tackle early, this is the year to do it for Denver. I agree. Um, you could you could make that argument a little bit, I think, at cornerback, but to me, it's less of one given just the snap share. I mean, that that's an interesting conversation of how do you get that guy on the field, assuming everybody's healthy. Now, if you don't assume Bryce Callahan will be healthy, then you know Sertan makes a lot of sense because he really rounds out your cornerback group with Darby and uh, Fuller. So. I guess it depends on what you feel about Bryce Callahan and how much you want to hedge there. Um, but he's a guy that I would put on the field right away, you know? And so you don't want him sitting for a year. If you're picking Patrick Sertan, you want him on the field. For me, if you're taking Patrick Sertan, it's clear. It's, it's one of those situations where you take him because you cannot trade down and you would just adjust your defense around. You just play a lot more dime. Uh, and then you would just hedge against the fact that probably one of the cornerbacks is going to get hurt at some point. 
And I'm not, I'm not saying, like, obviously I'm not rooting for that, but it's just a thing you have to be aware of. Like at some point you have to plan on a guy not being available if he's never been available. And that's the thing with Bryce Callahan. Like I like him a lot. I think he's a very good player, but he can't stay healthy every year. Like it happens. So it'd be smart to plan on. You don't plan on, like you don't draft based on hope. You draft based on what you think you know. Uh, and so since we're talking Parsons, though, I do want to mention JOK because, A, we have a question about it, and I think we need to answer it. But also, B, I think JOK, first of all, he was my number one linebacker on my board. And part of it is the character stuff, but the other part of it is I think his skill set. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Fits what I think the league is moving towards. I think he makes enough sense for what the Broncos really do need next to Alexander Johnson that he could slide in immediately over Josie Jewell and contribute right away. Uh, so the question we got is, how would you think JOK fits in case we trade back and draft him? People say that he would just be a nickel, but we have three great corners. Does, would would there another pick be better? Um, so, yes, there's a lot of players I actually prefer to JOK. I don't have either linebacker so high that I wouldn't take somebody else if I had the chance. But that said, if the Broncos trade back, let's say they get in the 20s, pick up a future first. I mean, that's my hope. They, if they trade back, I hope they get a future first. But let's say they trade back into the future first. Somehow JOK falls there and he's the top guy. I like it. I like it a lot because I think, again, he's essentially a safety backer. He's like 215 pounds. But last year we had we had Troy Rank talking about how Fangio mentioned to him how he wanted to get into a defense where essentially he's playing a hybrid player and they're playing what looks like dime. That's JOK to a T. Yeah, well, and and um, he played a lot of slot in college too. Like he, and he can cover slot receivers. Yeah, so I think it makes a lot of sense from that regard. And what would be interesting is you know it, it kind of opens things up from a defensive standpoint. And again, like the the four three three four stuff gets way overblown, and like we've talked about that is like it, it's not as big a deal as most people make it out to be. But you could get into a situation where you're in kind of a hybrid defense from a like your base look perspective has jok on the field with alexander johnson and then you also have bradley chubb and von miller in your i mean you're almost kind of creating a three four or a, a four three look right where jok is your overhang and he's walking out over the the safety at times von miller's your other essentially you know overhang on the the outside and um, you've got Bradley Chubb on the line. You know, he's playing kind of more of a closed end or something, depending on the look. And so I think that could be interesting for sure. You know, so you're looking at a, you're, you almost have like a, 
a 4-3 look going with Alexander Johnson, Vaughn Miller, and JOK as your three quote-unquote linebackers in that look. And then your four down front is you know, Chubb, Harris, um, Draymond Jones, or Purcell, or you know, whoever you want to play at nose there. And then um, you know, another depending on how the defensive line is coming along. So I think that could be interesting for sure. There's a lot of different stuff you could do with him, and then obviously you could just play him in your in, in your sub package too, as kind of your sub package linebacker. So I think he does give you some flexibility um, and a lot of interesting stuff, and I think he's a great player. So um, I don't know. I want to take him at nine though for sure, and so I, I agree with you that he's a trade back candidate for sure. So that kind of brings me to one of the other questions I want to ask you, and be aware that. This is on record, so people are going to know we said this in case the Broncos do it. Uh, because, like, I, you know, we're going to get flack for that if that happens. Um, obviously, if, if the Broncos take Slater, I expect people to, to vilify me for what I said about him. But are there any players you do not want the Broncos to draft? Um, and I, I'm, I'm talking about first-round players. And I can tell you from a start, I can give you – I don't want the Broncos to take a running back. I know I, I have heard that the Broncos are not going to do it now. I don't know if that's true, but I do know at one point there were reports and rumors that the Broncos were very interested in Najee Harris. I want none of that. I don't want to take a running back in the top 32. I, I don't care if they trade back into it. I still think it's dumb. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I think we've talked enough on this show about the, yeah. the running back position, particularly in the draft and the value that it, it brings you. Um, there really isn't a guy that that I dislike a ton in this draft. Like, you know, usually there's kind of a lightning rod prospect or something. Um, probably Mac Jones is that for me. Like, and, and I say that not like having – like, I don't want to shortchange him. I think he's a talented guy. And I would say I probably haven't watched enough to be sold on him, like what I have seen from him. Um, I, you know, it, it uh, he doesn't – he doesn't really he doesn't do it for me from a quarterback perspective, but um, I think he'll probably be gone anyway, or Denver want to have a, a shot at him. So that's maybe the one guy. But at the same time, like he's addressing the quarterback position, and if it's somebody that they believe in, then you know I get it. Um, fire alarm just randomly goes off in our building sometimes. You, I was gonna say, are you about to burn to death? Like, do you need to leave? No, I'm fine. We're fine. It's just a, it always goofs up sometimes. Uh, so I, I want to give a couple more because since since I feel like since you said Mac Jones, we kind of like, you just set the kiss of death like it's going to be Mac Jones now. So I'm going to say a couple more and hope that it's not Mac Jones. Um, I want nothing to do with Gregory Rousseau. I didn't have him on any of my boards that I made. I don't think he's a really great scheme fit for Fangio. If the Broncos take him, I'm going to be very, very nervous because it's very, very obvious that he could be a bust. Uh, and it's very easy to see how he could be a bus. Not to say, I'm not rooting for it. I just don't want anything to do with him. Um, and I don't like him at nine either. Like I agree with no, you. No, hell no. I would lose my shit if they take him at nine. Uh, <laughs> no, he's just, he's stiff. He didn't work out as good as you wanted him to. And he opted out and he didn't work out as great as you wanted him to. So it's like, that's a red flag to me. Uh, when you go back to his tape back when he played, he was winning inside a lot. So what was happening is Miami was moving him against guards and he was too quick for guards. He's not necessarily a quick edge rusher. Uh, so there's some talk like, and again, I don't even think he's going to be in a first round anymore, but I'm just throwing it out there because I've had a lot of people ask me about it. 
he he's a toolsy guy who's tall, long, and kind of big. So people kind of project what he could be in like three years. It's it's too it, there's too much projection to his game for me to really like him in the first round. And I don't think he's good enough in space. I think he's a four three player if he makes it. And I don't think that makes sense. I, if the Broncos take him, I'm going to be wondering how he fits. So that's that's a question for me. Uh, the other one that I'm really nervous about, and again, I, I'm i happy if I'm wrong with this. I ho- I'm scared of Jalen Phillips. Uh, just legitimately scared of Jalen Phillips. His medical history is a huge concern for me. Uh, he's had concussions. I like From a friend, I've heard that he's had concussions dating back to when he was 10 years old. Uh, I know the UCLA stuff is what everybody knows. He was me- He medically retired. Uh, he medically retired because he had four concussions in a year with UCLA. That's how they they're safe. Like they're not going to keep you on the field if that's what's happened. But I just I I don't I like his fit. If he's healthy, I think he could be a really good player. So if the Broncos take him, like I'll be with the rest of you and hope it works out. But definitely makes me nervous. Yeah, if we're talking about guys that make us nervous, like I love the player, but Caleb Fairley makes me nervous. Oh man, yeah, definitely. From a- Perspective. No, I mean, I love the fit. I love the guy on the field, but um, he's a guy that makes me nervous for, for sure from a, from a health perspective. Um, I think you would have to hedge your, you know, hedge your risk appropriately with him. So to me, he would be a, a trade back guy for sure. And knowing that you, <clears throat> excuse me, knowing that you secured enough draft capital, capital to make it worth it to take a risk on a guy like him. But he would be another one that, you know, for sure wouldn't want at nine or kind of in the in the early rounds of the or early throws of the first round. But um, he's a guy that I would probably put in that category, too. So I guess kind of the one last thing I want to do before we get out of here and let you guys enjoy your draft day. Uh, I kind of wanted to work out through like the top eight just to kind of like bounce off you what we kind of think might happen. Because I do think that obviously I think I don't think anyone's going to be shocked that Trevor Lawrence is the first overall pick. Uh, I, I think I think it would be. I want to say that people are betting like ten thousand to one odds or something like that against it. So at this point, it's a quick way to make money if you think if you're that sure. But I would not recommend it. I also I think you and I talked about this before. I know I've mentioned it a couple different times. Back when the 49ers traded up with Miami. Ian Rappaport had a deleted tweet that the Eagles were actually hoping to stick or to get to three in hopes that Zach Wilson would fall. And when they knew that that wasn't going to happen, that's when they traded down with Miami. He deleted the tweet. So, you know, anything's still on the table. Maybe they go, you know, they shock the world, take Justin Fields. But I think it's safe to say that Zach Wilson's probably going second overall. I think the draft really starts at three, which is why, you know, there's been endless speculation about Mac Jones, Trey Lance, and Kyle Shanahan. What do you think happens at three? I think there's been enough smoke of Mac Jones going to the 49ers that he would be the guy. Like, if I was betting money, I would put, and I'm not, by the way, but if I was, it would be on Mac Jones going at number three. I disagree with you, and not because of the smoke. I think you're right. So again, this is literally just a gut feeling that I've just been very sure of the whole time. And I've been wrong, you know, a hundred times. So don't take this as gospel. Don't go bet money on Trey Lance just because I'm saying this by any means. I don't have any insight. I think it's Trey Lance just because part of me thinks that just Kyle Shanahan's not that stupid. Uh, because I just don't see Mac Jones as the third overall player. And I don't, not only that, if you were already at three and you take Mac Jones, I think it's dumb. But if you're trading three drafts to go get Mac Jones, you're an idiot. 
<laughs> and maybe they're dumb. Like maybe they're just that dumb or maybe Kyle, like it goes back to like Josh McDaniels where Josh McDaniels thought he was smarter than everyone else. And he, that's how he approached the draft. If you approach free agency in the draft, like you're smarter than everyone else, you better be right. Cause otherwise you're not going to be long for that job. Yeah. That'll be an interesting one. I think that'll probably be the biggest, like depending on where it, I don't think anybody will be surprised if Mac Jones gets picked, but that could be the biggest, you know, shake up of draft night potentially. Definitely. Depending on where they go. Well, and the thing that's crazy is all the reports that basically eliminated Justin Fields as the third overall pick because, you know, reportedly the Niners are down to Lancer Jones. Wouldn't it be like the crate? Like everybody also agrees or not everybody, but most people also agree that Justin Fields is probably the second best quarterback. So it would be, you know, the Niners like to throw a lot of smoke. Maybe they're just doing all this just so no one goes like, just so no one trades with the jets to go get Justin Fields. Yeah. That'd be interesting. We'll I, again, you know, who knows, but, but that said, okay. So we know a quarterback's going third though. What do you think the Falcons are going to do? They're a tough one um, to really get a gauge on because I, the more I think about it, like, I don't think that they go quarterback, even though I've seen, you know, options where they, potentially um, pick a guy to be Matt Ryan's successor. I think Lance would make sense here if he's there and they wanted him to be kind of the sit and learn and be the long-term answer after Matt Ryan. Um, I've seen Kyle Pitts thrown out to them. I think he makes a lot of sense there to give another weapon to the offense, particularly because I recently saw a report. I don't know how much, you know, substantiation there is to this, but that the Falcons are potentially open to moving Julio um, if they do move him, you know, you need another weapon in your offense. Uh, Kyle Pitts gives that to you. And so I think that could be an option. They're, they're also an option for a trade back too. And so I think they're probably the biggest wild card in this first round or, you know, in the top 10. And so I don't really have a good read on, on where I would peg the Falcons uh, to go. So one of the things I think is really interesting is how Chris Mortensen from ESPN reported, I want to say about a month ago now, that Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith were not on the same page. And Fontenot wanted a quarterback. Arthur Smith did not because Arthur Smith thought that Matt Ryan can play for however long. Everybody kind of has come around to the idea that they've, they've gotten on the same page. And because of that, they're not going to go quarterback. But what if they got on the same page because they are going to go quarterback? And it's and it's entirely possible. So I, I do agree with you. They are... I like more than even the Niners. I think they're the biggest wild card that's going to determine what happens to Denver. Because if they go quarterback, odds are the guy that Denver wants is not going to be there. Yeah, because then I think it creates a bit of a scramble for quarterback, and you see people maybe trying to leverage Miami at six because there has been reports that Miami may want to even move back further potentially, even though they came back up to six. Um, if they could still get a guy that they think that, you know, fits their, um, their profile that they could potentially move back. And I don't know, you know, if that had, if that was just somebody talking or if that was substantiated, but that's what I've seen as well is that they're you know, potentially interested there. I think the Bengals, when you get further down, the Bengals are probably one of the easier picks because to me, they either go Sewell at tackle or chase. I mean, I think it's chase. Yeah, I think Chase makes a ton of sense. Um, but I think Sewell makes a ton of sense as well, given the beating that Joe Burrow took um, and the priority that they want to put on keeping him upright. And so I think either one of those guys is a great pick for them, and they'll be happy with it. 
but um, I think it's either one of those two guys. I do too, and I don't think they're going to move. I, you know, that could be the crazy, you know, wild card there that they actually decide to move back. But I, I think they're going to go chase just because I think, and again, I can talk myself into and out of this. This is not, you know, not any sort of inside information, but the fall off from chase. And I, and I realized this as I started to do the, like the boards, the fall off from like chase and waddle and honestly, even chase to the next receiver is pretty big. Uh, just be in terms of risk. Uh, the biggest risk pertaining to Jamar chase is the fact that he opted out last year is that you just haven't seen him play. The last time he played, he was in a historic offense. Here's the thing. Both the Alabama guys run historic offenses. One of them's 160 pounds. The other one broke his leg. And then you go farther down the board and every other receiver is even riskier. So I think the Bengals are probably going to take Jamar Chase because the tackle class, there's more guys that, that could feasibly be there at, in the second round that could still step in very shortly and, and be a guy there for them. Yeah, I agree with you. And, well, when you mentioned that historic offense, like – the quarterback of that historic offense happens to be your quarterback. Exactly. <laughs> and he wants him. Last time. You know, all the reports. Yeah. That was the last time you saw Jamar Chase be successful or they saw him play was with Joe Burrow. So, I mean, I think it just makes, makes too it much too much sense. Well, that and their offense, even though they have receivers, none of their receivers are great athletes. Like Jamar Chase would step in and very, very quickly become the number one receiver for that offense. They don't really have that. They had that with AJ Green, and they tried to do it last year with what was left of him. Quickly found out AJ Green was washed. I don't know why the Cardinals paid him, but that's another story. But Jamar Chase would step in and give them the guy that they were hoping AJ Green was going to be last year for Burrow. That's what I think, and yeah, I also no. think that's why Miami is. That that I think that's also why Miami created space for Sewell if he falls. Because then they now have room, now that they don't have Eric Flowers, which another dumb signing, but now that they don't have Eric Flowers, they could potentially fit in another an, an offensive lineman, and it doesn't look dumb. Yeah, I mean, I think you're either going to see Sewell here, if he's gone by the Bengals, or I mean, I think they take, they take either Chaser or Sewell, potentially, yep. one of the two that doesn't get picked. If the Falcons shock I don't know about it would be a shock, but if they surprise people and end up taking a guy like Sewell or a Chase, um, then it becomes a little bit more interesting for Miami. And maybe they just go down the board at tackle and and pick up a tackle. Or I think a guy like Waddle or something here makes sense. Um, so I think Miami, you know, Miami has options, but I think it'll be in that kind of range. I do know that there was a report at one point that Miami's owner did not really want them to take an opt-out player. I have no idea. Obviously, you know, that might just be BS. Um, but I do know that that was out there about a month ago. It's not like this week. Uh, so, again, if you're listening and trying to figure that out, that might be a thing as well. Uh, Detroit, I think Detroit is a real wild card because they can go any direction because they're trying to be bad. And they're, I think they're the biggest trade-back candidate, too. Yeah. Um, and if you're Denver and want to go up, they're probably your biggest go up candidate. Um, but it's also, you know, Denver's got to be nervous a little bit if they're if they're waiting on their guy to fall. You know, New England has been rumored to want to come up, but and I think um, so. Scotty Payne has said this from you know, from Mile High from Mile High Report. He said this a couple times: is that if you're Detroit, do you want to go all the way back to 15 for New England? You know, if you're trading back with New England, like it. it the people that would be coming up 
doesn't feel like it's an attractive enough spot to make that team want to come back. And so, you know, obviously that could change, but I think Detroit probably ends up staying put unless it's somebody like Denver that wants to come up just quickly, you know, hop a couple spots to get them. Because, yeah, and so because I think if you're coming back all the way to 15 to let New England come up and get a quarterback, you know, then it changes who you're getting as a from a um, tier perspective for the Lions because they'll have good players sitting there. And I think a guy like Campbell, I think a guy like Patrick Sertan makes a lot of sense for him. Um, I mean, I could see them going Parsons maybe uh, because he's a physical guy and, you know, they you – know, It's a knee biter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's probably like if Parsons was going to sneak into the top 10, I think that's probably where he goes. And so, um, yeah, I, I have no clue what Detroit's going to do, though. But those are the two you know things I would probably throw out there. Well, and the thing is, and this is like kind of the undercurrent underneath all this draft, like everything going on. This is a really, really small overall draft class, which doesn't really matter that much for obviously the top 10, but it's also a really risky draft class, which is one of the reasons why we've seen so many reports about teams wanting to move back and try and get capital for next year's because guys feel a lot more certain that they'll be able to have all the full picture in 2022. So if the, if Detroit wants to trade back to 15, I don't think they're going to do it unless they're getting a future first. And that's, and that honestly might be how Denver gets jumped because I have heard uh, that the Broncos don't want to give up future capital. I have actually heard that the Broncos, if they're going to trade back, they want extra. They they want future capital, which makes a ton of sense given what we just talked about with the roster of all the holes that Denver's going to experience. I mean, I, I get the if you wanted to move up for a quarterback, but I, I I agree with that line of thinking is that you're you're really making the cupboard bare for restocking the roster next year if you start trading and, and um, dipping into that capital. So. Getting to Carolina, I think Carolina is interesting just because even though they invested all those pieces into their defense last year, their defense was still really, really bad. They could use, they could feasibly use more help on defense. Uh, Matt Rule is a defensive guy, but at the same time, I think they're probably going to go offense. I think they're going to go offensive line, or if Kyle Pitts is somehow still there at eight, I think they're going to go Kyle Pitts. Yeah, I think Pitts it gives them a dangerous element in Joe Brady's offense, particularly with Christian McCaffrey, because now you have two guys that really aren't traditional wide receivers, like split out wide receivers, but you have to cover them like a wide receiver, and so it creates all kinds of problems for a defense. And so that could be really interesting if, if Pitts does fall to eight. Um, do you think Carolina is in the quarterback market at all, or do you think they're they're good with Sam Darnold? I think that's part of the reason why they agreed to trade Teddy Bridgewater when they did. So it creates the perception that they're interested. I don't, the thing, the thing with Sam Darnold is Sam Darnold makes a ton of sense for them as a reclamation project, but if they believe in one of the quarterbacks, they definitely should take one. I don't think Sam Darnold is such a proven commodity that I wouldn't prefer him over Justin Fields for sure. Uh, But at the same time I was reading. And again, this anonymous scout season is a lot of BS. So keep this in mind. But there are some in the league, based on what I've read and what I've heard, that some people believe Sam Darnold has a better chance of turning into a, a guy than basically everybody other than Lawrence. Like there are some people in the league who do not like this quarterback class at all outside of Lawrence. Yeah. I mean, we talked to Tim Jenkins on our podcast. Uh, was it's been a couple months now, but I mean, he really likes Sam Darnold as an option for Denver among all you know above all the other quarterbacks in the class. 
and um, made a really compelling case. You know, I wanted to go get Sam Darnold after talking to him on that. And so, I mean, I think with a guy like Joe Brady, he could be a, a great reclamation project if you do get weapons around him. And so I think it's probably a low chance that Carolina goes that route. Same. I think it's a probably a better chance that they maybe even trade out there if somebody Same. wants to try to hop up for a quarterback. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of unknowns and potential trade backs in between nine, but um, I think we've, we've laid out enough options where we'll probably be – enough wrong and enough right to um, to cover ourselves uh, on it but um yeah you know it'll be interesting to see what happens i'm i'm gonna be tuned in and happy draft day everyone on <laughs> this is the the season for it right and the other thing i want to throw out there if you've you know if you listen all the way through whether we're high on them as a prospect or not if Denver drafts, whoever Denver drafts, I think you and I are both in agreement that we're rooting for them to turn into a Hall of Fame player. Like, we hope it turns out, it picks out, even if it's not necessarily the guy I wanted on this side of it. Absolutely. And I would say this is, you know, I have um, I have faded, become bearish on Drew Locke over the offseason, just given the reaction of the front office and George Payton to him. But if he's the guy at quarterback, other than, you know, if they're going to make Teddy Bridgewater and him compete and they don't pick a quarterback, I'll be rooting like hell for him to turn it on because that's Denver's big shot this year is him, you know, turning it around. And so, you know, if you put on that orange jersey, I'm, I'm going to root for you. And so um, I think whoever Denver picks at nine, I think they'll get a good player too. And I would say that it's like, I don't think George Payton was, you know, um, blowing smoke when he said that, that they feel like they can get an impact player at nine, regardless of what happens. I believe in there. And I believe that there's enough guys within the, the feasible range that they will get a good impact player. So I think Broncos country will be happy um, with the draft. I think the, you know, the quarterback situation is going to be a big question mark and there'll be some fans if, if, you know, either way they go on that regard that, you know, may be unhappy with that. But um, it sure does a lot of add a lot of intrigue into the the pick. I think this is probably the the biggest like um, question mark. Like last year, we were pretty sure uh, that they would get a guy like a Jerry Judy, and maybe a, you know we were, didn't know if CD Lamb would fall to them or what, you know if they were going to try to go um, rugs or something like that if he was there. And um, yeah, I mean, I think this is probably the the biggest um, question mark, at least in the last couple of years for Denver, where I really don't know what they're going to do. Like, I don't know what's going to happen or who's going to walk across that stage. Same. And I think that speaks to how different George Payton is from John Elway. And I really like it. Um, I hope I still like it as much on Saturday as I do right now. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree with you. I've never, I can't remember the last time I've been this anxious for a draft. So let's hope it's good. We'll see what happens, and we'll be back um, to talk about it and, and break it down for you and talk through the draft class and, um, you know, get all hyped about all the players uh, as soon as we pick them.